Hello and welcome to SAE Tomorrow Today. I'm your host, Grayson Prolte. On today's episode, we're absolutely honored to have Henry L. Greenwich, fellow and resident at the McSilver Institute at New York University. On today's episode, we covered a wide range of topics. We spoke about the future mobility in urban environments, diversity and the impact it will have on the future mobility, and how we ensure access for all. Mobility is built for all. Mobility should be used by all. Henry pulls back the curtain, explains how this is possible, why it's possible, and what the benefits of society and the local communities are. And with Henry's background in radio and my background in music, we talk about the importance of community engagement and why outreach is important and why getting involved in the local community before you deploy an autonomous vehicle is absolutely critical. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the podcast, Henry. Thank you, Grayson. It is a pleasure to be here with you today. I'm super excited to have you here. You were born and raised in Brooklyn, but more importantly, one of the sharpest minds in mobility, especially related to policy. So I can't wait to learn something today. Look, I appreciate that, Grayson. Let's have some fun today. We're going to have some fun, and I'm going to start off very broad. I'm going to ask you a question that's near and dear to your heart, but very broad. What is the future of cities? Ah, started off with a good one. Okay. <laughs> well, well, look, you know, uh, Grayson, I was born in New York City. I've spent time in cities over the years, Washington, D.C., Baltimore, has spent some time in Miami. And one of the great things about cities is the fact that they're resilient. I think that today you see a lot of challenges due to the pandemic and the lack of resources that cities have had in facing some of these challenges as a result. But I think where you have these challenges, that provides uh, opportunity. And so I'm hopeful that through uh, addressing some of these challenges, we can think about some of the things that have long evaded our transportation ecosystem. As you know, for me, a priority has been equity. And I think that the pandemic has forced us to address equity in a way that is front and center, in a way that uh, no longer can be hidden from uh, view. And when you look at equity, what role will mobility play? And how can you assure that you know single mother will be able to, from one part of the city, get a child to a better school, for example? How, how will that play into this future mobility as it relates to cities? Yeah, well, you know, as I think about my career in transportation and mobility over the last 10, 12 years, I would say that the conversation has changed. I would say that, you know, for a long time when we thought about the top issues facing our country and those especially in need of reform, we thought about uh, criminal justice, we thought about healthcare, we thought about education. I now think that transportation is up there. People now recognize how much transportation means in their daily lives. I think certainly with the advent of new technologies, we've seen with TNCs like Uber and Lyft, uh, e-scooters such as Bird and Lime, people now recognize uh, the impact that transportation has, and they're more willing to make it a priority to ensure that uh, it's accessible for everyone. If Uber and Lyft were never invented, one could make an argument that mobility and transportation from a tech would never be cool. It would never have this profound effect that it's having today. What would mobility look like today if Uber and Lyft never came around and completely turned mobility upside down? First, I'd like to say, you know, Uber in particular changed my life personally. I was commuting from Washington, D.C. Uh, to New York, where my family was on a weekly basis. And for a number of years, trying to catch a, a taxi cab home was difficult, both in Washington, D.C. and New York. Uh, one day someone told me, had I tried the app Uber? Uh, and from that point on, you know, I was able to have a safe, reliable means of transportation home late at night. And so I'm very much in favor of what Uber has done. But I also think without Uber, 
we may have been forced to face these questions anyway. Technology is always evolving. And I think that even if uh, Travis Kalanick hadn't come up with the idea of Uber, there would have been an innovative um, company out there providing a solution. That's a valid point. I think a lot about the original taxi industry. And I, when I went to school, I took a train to school um, and I had to take a taxi there and there. And they just they were always dirty and they always smelled. And it was never a fun experience. And you had to deal with the dispatcher, had to find the car. It was this convoluted thing. And then along comes Uber. Well, I got an app on my phone. This is easy. And, the, and back then it was all the SUVs before they went down to, to UberX. Why did the taxi industry never evolve where they just getting fat and happy on the medallions and they said, well, we don't have to do anything? You know what? It's interesting. I, I've heard that sentiment before. I actually don't think that's it. I don't think this was the case of, you know, those who were holding medallions. And, you know, as you know, uh, medallions were holding a value of upwards of a million dollars at one point. And so that plummeted in 2014. But I don't think it was the, the holders of medallions who were sitting there and failing to um, evolve over time. I think they were at a point where, where they couldn't. You have to think about who was actually driving these cars. Uh, I don't think the financing mechanisms were there for them to innovate quickly. Uh, it, it was very expensive uh, to lease and maintain these cars. And I think technology has provided easier ways to do that today. Uh, and so I, I don't necessarily blame uh, the taxi drivers who are sitting there uh, uh, collecting profits. I think the, the story is deeper than that. That's a valid point around access to capital. And that goes into you know, all the wonderful research that you do on equity. The things, you know, living in New York for years, I noticed a, like a lack of pride, a lack of happiness when you get into the taxi and they're screaming on the phone. I think it was under the Bloomberg administration. They passed a law where they couldn't have the phone. They didn't listen. And I'll never forget this. And this was an important thing to point out when I knew the industry was coming to an end. When you know this trick, credit card machines broken. Oh, yes. And I came from downtown and, and we lived up by the park and I'm coming up. And it was like a $45 fare or something. It said, credit card machine's broken. Well, me being me, I said, I said the New York law states that if the credit card machine is broken, you get a free ride. And I, and I, and I read it word for word. All suddenly goes on, pops the hood open, connects it. Credit card machine magically worked. Always. When he kept asking <laughs> for cash. You know what? What you've pointed out is um, interesting because it brings about two things. Number one, politics. Uh, and the need for regulation. Let me start off with politics. The political process was the reason and uh, the reason why a lot of these taxicab medallion owners were able to function uh, the way that they did. They had a lot of political influence. Uh, they made political contributions. They knew how to play the game much more than uh, the folks who were the advocates, right? I think in that time, advocates have gotten smarter and have realized that there are other ways that you can influence the process, even if you don't have uh, the financial stability that the medallion owners had. But the other piece is regulations, right? And regulation is where we have to, you know, walk a fine line. I think where you have adequate regulations that serve the interests of the public, you can avoid situations like that. And so as we think about uh, advances in technology, we have to be careful that we ensure that companies can innovate and they can iterate, but at the same time, they still have to be meeting the needs of the public. And in order to do that, I think you need regulations. And so in that equation that you presented, I think that was what was missing there. The Bloomberg administration did a wonderful job of protecting people that wanted to pay by credit card and they fined him. There's all these issues. Yes, the Bloomberg administration did a lot of good stuff around the regulation of that. But then you have some 
we're going to say the New York level, some politicians that got Albany syndrome or New York syndrome, they decide that they want to overregulate for the sake of, of passing a regulation. You have a crumbling subway system in New York. You have Ubers that are clogging the curb up. You have FedEx trucks, UPS trucks, every delivery clogging the curb up. And there's no consistency. Do you have this wonderfully beautiful city that's not currently operating in harmony from a, from a transportation delivery perspective? In your opinion, how does how do we get New York to be this wonderful New York Philharmonic where everything is just operating <laughs> in this be- beautiful synchronization? Yeah, well, Grayson, you've laid out the fundamental challenges that the New York City uh, transportation ecosystem has faced uh, for forever, really. Um, the fact of the matter is they've never gotten it right. And, you know, although, you know, you can sort of blame the politics and you can call for regulation, uh, that that's not it, right? You have to work through um, a tremendous amount uh, of issues in the actual system. I think what gives us the ability to get around these issues or to address these issues rather is technology because it it allows us to revisit what we got wrong. The same way you were able to lay out uh, individual cases uh, that the system failed, uh, technology and the need for conversation around it allow us to move that uh, conversation forward. New York, we're going through a mayoral race and all signs, polls, everybody's pointing to potential Eric Adams administration. You can't say it's a done deal. You can't say it's locked because it's not done until the ballots are counted. But 99.999% sure that it will be Eric Adams will be the next right. mayor of the great <laughs> state of, sorry, the great city of New York. Gotham, you, you've got a, a pro-tech, pro-innovation mayor coming in there that's seemingly reading the New York Post. He's rolling up his sleeves and engaging with communities. Do you think the potential, let's stress potential, Adams administration will look at this and say, we have the world's greatest city how do we also have the world's greatest mobility so nobody's left behind, everybody goes, and then we get our beautiful New York symphony? Well, look, I, I'm very hopeful. I'm very hopeful of an Adams administration. He's from Brooklyn. I'm from Brooklyn. We've got that, right? Um, but I'm also cautious. And the reason why is because there are many that believe that the de Blasio administration was the answer to many of their problems, specifically on the progressive side of politics, right? But we often would find that even uh, with his base, he was often at odds. And so I'm hopeful that uh, a Mayor Adams administration can capture the hearts and minds of the transport transportation community as he promised he would. Um, But what I would say is he has a number of challenges to think about. You know, he has to think about what this pandemic has done. He has to think about the political ecosystem that is now in New York and what that means uh, from the left and what that means from the right. And where is he going to fit in? Uh, I agree that he has seemingly embraced technology, which bodes well for technologists like myself. But I think he has more challenges than the previous mayor had. And so it's going to be interesting to see how he navigates that. I'm particularly interested to see what is he going to do on autonomous vehicles. Several weeks ago, uh, New York City put forward rules on autonomous vehicles. They did so in a hurry. They had a hearing and they did allow a comment period, but it was very abbreviated. There were a number of concerns and they went ahead and passed these rules. So my question for Mayor Adams is, you know, How does he feel about the current AV testing regime? How can he improve some of the rules? And what will he do to ensure the long-term successful impact of autonomous vehicles in New York City? He's going to have a lot of work to do. You mentioned bigger problems. Problem number one is he's he's 
got to figure out the crime issue. He's been very public about dealing with crime. It's, it's an epidemic. And then he has to get businesses to move back to New York. He has to get individuals back in offices. And to do that, you, you need everybody that fled to Florida and the Carolinas to come back to New York. That's, that's going to be the biggest challenge. Because yes. if, you, if you look at New York, and there was the interesting move, Google um, bought that, you know, increased their, their real estate holdings. It's okay, you have tech moving in. There's the term Silicon Alley's thrown around. It's been thrown around for years. Well, do something about it. Remember um, in, during the um, Cuomo administration in Albany where they passed the autonomous vehicle law where you had to file it three days, pay a state trooper X amount of dollars to follow it, and guess what happened? Nobody went to New York State to test. That's a clear example of overregulation. New York City autonomous vehicles do well. They say, oh, San Francisco is the hardest place to drive. Yeah, go try and drive 57th Street between uh, 5th and 6th during delivery time. You want to figure that out? That's a lot tougher than San Francisco. So as a, as a proud New Yorker and somebody who understands this policy better than anybody, if Eric Adams is listening, what would you say to potential Mayor Adams of what he can do to embrace the Thompson Eagles and a regulation that's fair for everyone? I think that's a great question. So number one, Grayson, you know I'm intimately aware of the governor's autonomous vehicle program having worked at Cruise. Uh, I worked at Cruise during a very different time when I think uh, the, the the testing goals were, were different. At that time, we were testing in different markets. We uh, looked at our current rate of improvement and we uh, had very aggressive timelines for deployment. I think Cruise now is very, very focused on launching in San Francisco. And as a result, have really doubled down on their efforts there. As you know, they've achieved five of the six permits that are needed uh, to deploy uh, driverless and, and charge uh, customers, right? Uh, they're not there yet. They still have one more uh, permit from the CPUC. Uh, but getting back to your question, I think what the Adams administration or what Mayor Adams needs to hear is that he needs, he needs to be the, the best of both worlds of some of the previous administrations. You know, if you look back at the first African-American mayor, uh, David uh, Dinkins, who is a person I looked up to growing up, you know, he had this way of governing. He looked at New York as uh, the great uh, mosaic, and he really considered himself a mayor uh, for everyone. And I think Adams needs to embrace that approach. It hasn't worked for all mayors because they simply didn't believe in catering to all New Yorkers, right? Um, but I think Mayor Adams needs to do so. He needs to step up up and show leadership during this uh, tremendous challenge in New York. He needs to first address the crime, and then everything else needs to sort of be uh, tiered after that. I also think he needs to look at some of the best managers we've ever had in New York City. And if you mention a manager, you, you can't not talk about Mayor Bloomberg, regardless of how you feel about him. He was wonderful at bringing out the best in the people that worked for him. You know, people like uh, Jeanette Sadiq Khan were able to experiment and they were able to carry forward our, our transportation ecosystem in a way that we just hadn't seen before. And so Adams needs to take a look at the history and adopt some of the best approaches. I think if you understand the history, you can really formulate a strategy uh, for moving forward. The, thing, the most important thing to me, I understand New York history. Please understand the New York Yankees are the world champions and we got to get them back to the World Series. We've gone through this drought <laughs> and it's time to get back to the World Series. That's the most important piece of history that has to be understood. Well, let me tell you something. I, 
I, I, I got to tell you, I grew up a Mets fan. And then, you know, when I was in high school, you know, the Yankees were just really killing it. So I had no choice but to be a Yankees fan. But I recently went to a Mets game and they had a terrible season. But I don't know. I, I think I flip flop again. I think I, I'm back uh, with the Mets and I think they've got a nice future, some great young stars. They need to not do what they did last season, but very optimistic there. Beautiful stadium, but to me, it'll always be Shea. You, you can't, oh, well, it's, it's always going to no be comparison. Shea. <laughs> you got the, you, you've got Stevie Cohen owning the Mets now. Yeah. And I have a lot of friends that are Mets and Jets, and they're like, we've been suffering along, enough long with the Jets, but now we got Stevie Cohen uh, running the Mets. Perhaps we're going to get it there because he's got deeper pockets than anybody in baseball. Sure he does. And for New York, I really remember the – I was at the um, – I always had the Subway series when it was uh, Clemens Piazza went through the bat. I'll never forget that night um, when he threw the bat. That was that classic New York moment. Like you yeah. had to be there and feel the excitement and we have to get back to that. So yes, let's go Mets. We want the Mets to have an incredible team, but Yankees, we'll just like, we like to scoop by you and get another ring. <laughs> well, you know, back to uh, Adam's administration, he really needs to support New York sports. I mean, de Blasio, look, he's a Boston guy, you know? Uh, so I'm happy that we'll have a mayor who, who's an advocate for New York sports. No, we live in New York. We, we, we don't live in Boston. <laughs> we, we know how those rivalries go. And you're looking at issues around politics and policy that have rivals. Is You have to look at the, the NYC taxi medallion system. Yes. Does that get reform, blown up? Do the medallion banks, do they go under at some point? We saw during the, uh, you know, the, the flash crash, you want to call it, during the depths of COVID, that a lot of those banks were financially unstable. What's going to happen to that system? I think you have to fix this system. You have to fix the medallion system. I'm going to start out from a really high level. The yellow cab is one of the most iconic things ever in New York. When you think of Big Apple, you think of the yellow cab, right? And look, maybe some cabbies weren't that great, but you know, cabbies were near and dear to our hearts. And I think, you know, for a really long time, uh, the bubble, the bubble was growing and growing and it finally burst. And that was not the fault of many of these drivers who many of them saved up their entire lives to be able to purchase the medallions all for the market to collapse. And I don't think they were to blame there. There were a number of different forces at play. Uh, and I think the system was flawed from the beginning. And I do think the, the New York City Taxi and Limousine Commission was complicit in that. There were articles that have come out that have talked about their role in the plummeting values of the medallions. And so I think you have to save the medallion system. I think it's a great system. I really do. I think there are ways to remove some of the negative aspects of it. I think right now, uh, listen, there, there are deals on the table. I think the city is out there with a rescue plan uh, talking about 65 million over 30 years where the New York Taxi Workers Alliance, uh, they want more. They want 90 million over 30 years, and they want to further reduce the individual debt held by some of these medallion owners, right? They need to get to a place where they can make that work. I think ultimately they get there. I think the New York Taxi Workers Alliance has political support. Uh, they have Chuck Schumer. They have others who, who are stepping up and really calling for a fair uh, sort of bailout here. And I think this is something that we have to do and i'm looking forward uh to the day that they actually do that the debt's a very valid point to point out and i'll, I'll cite two public sources here the new york new york times and new york post have both written articles on it 
the interest rates on that debt is high. It's not like a one, 2% loan. I mean, you're talking 18, 19, 29% interest on some of these loans. You can barely service the loan, let alone repay the loan. It's like you get in this vicious trap. Yeah, the average amount owed, Grayson, is $600,000, okay? Uh, so they've got to do something. They've got to do something. And speaking of doing something, the, the yellow cab is completely iconic. It's been in more movies. It's, I don't know, this one popped in my head, Ghostbusters. It was prominently featured in Ghostbusters. What is the transition going to look like from the traditional... So you ha- we had the yellow cab and the Ghostbusters movie to the, the yellow cabs today. But then there's a very strong movement now towards electric cabs. What is that transition going to look like? So you're starting to see that transition now, not specifically with the yellow cabs. I, w- I would add that you, you're seeing it with Revel, for example. Revel was able to launch their electric cab service. They're using Tesla vehicles. I think that's great in terms of trying to get public acceptance for electric vehicles. I think it's great for uh, electric vehicle adoption and trying to increase the EV infrastructure in New York. Um, as far as the yellow cabs go, I think there's interest a- among the drivers. The question I have is whether the EV infrastructure is there to support that. and I I think the answer is no. But over the long term, I think this will be great uh, for the electrification of New York. I think there needs to be more of it. I think I'd love to see an Adams administration adopt more of a, 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 an innovative approach there. And I also think that the EV conversation paves a way for AVs. I'm very proud to say there are very good, well-funded conversations in the private sector going around for the EV infrastructure, the, the grid balancing of how we can start that transition. The big issue that I've seen in New York, which you'll know this better than anybody, is the charging infrastructure is going to take up a whole spot. Yeah, and so that's been it's trying to find the, for that. But it is the, the private sector is stepping up to to try and make that happen, and hopefully we get there. We've danced around this a little, we've tangoed, but but we keep talking about autonomous vehicles. When we look at AVs, and we, we talked earlier about mobility and the delivery vehicles, double parking, triple parking, does the curb in New York have to be regulated for drop-off and pickup zones so when AVs start rolling around in New York, they're not circling the block trying to find a place to go, or do they just act like a delivery vehicle or an Uber today and they double or triple park? So look, I think the answer is yes. The regulation of the curb has become one of the most contentious issues in transportation. And I think for good reason. You know, when people are losing uh, valuable parking spaces for commercial use, I think that's something that people hold very near and dear. Uh, (laughs) I know it is something that they hold very near and dear. They get angry about it. Uh, We know that, Grayson. But this is something (laughs) that we have to do to future-proof our cities. And it's not something that I'll tell you that I look forward to having that discussion with residents or with business owners. I think that the city has to have robust conversations with these stakeholders and really um, level up the amount of engagement and education that is needed. I think um, some of the pilot projects that we've seen around the country are a good starting point. I think the private sector has certainly stepped up. Uh, Companies like Populous and Cord and Curbflow and there are many, many others out there. They're really paving the way for this, but this is something that our cities absolutely need. I think consumer preferences have changed. We now want our our goods delivered and we want them faster, right? Um, But we also don't want to sit in traffic and we also want a parking spot for our cars. You know, at the end of the day, we have to make choices and all of those things aren't going to work at the same time. 
And so I think it's the government's responsibility to really step up and work with the private sector to figure out how those pieces come together. Uh, and I, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited about what the next 20 years will look like. And it's for this reason. I've been around some of these planners in cities and the conversations that are happening today are happening in a very intelligent way. It recognizes how sensitive that these issues are for people. But I think that these planners will figure out how to get these projects across the finish line. As planners prepare, innovators prepare, to, to launch autonomous vehicles in New York City, do you have to worry about the special interests that are involved with saving public transportation, trying to completely derail us as they view it as a threat? Well, look, I, I love AVs. I love the benefits uh, that they will bring, but transit remains the most efficient way to move around people in New York City. And any solution uh, to New York City has to include transit. So it it doesn't matter if you are an AV uh, developer. It doesn't matter if your focus is EVs. It doesn't matter if you're, you're thinking about scooters. You have to think about the impact of transit. You have to think about innovative ways to partner with uh, transit organizations. And you have to figure out ways to help sustain it and really do your part. You know, and that's my thing. You know, a lot of these tech companies, they have these innovative ideas, but I don't think there's enough thought given to impact. And one of the things they need to consider is transit and what it means to the transportation ecosystem and what it means for the people that live within these cities. That's that's a fair point because both sides are guilty of one thing or another, but how can we bring them to the table to say, listen, gentlemen, ladies, you compliment each other. Let's figure this out together and don't just do a kumbaya press release, but really roll up your sleeves and say, this is how we're going to do this. How do we get there? Because it always seems that somebody's getting money from this person, somebody's getting money from this person. And they're just they're, every time they come together, then they just go apart. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I've certainly seen that. Um, it is tough to really get a meeting of the minds. And I will say that these two stakeholders they speak different languages. There are different goals in mind, uh, and and they define success differently. But what I will also say is I've seen a shift. You know, there was a time when mobility tech companies were all about protecting every piece of data that they had. Now it's not like that. I think they're thinking about what data they can share and how it can be useful. And that is a a dramatic uh, difference just in in my short time working uh, with with technology companies. And so I'm optimistic that more conversations uh, will will yield uh, better results. I think they realize that they need each other now. The sort of uh, break things now and and fix it later approach has sort of passed us in in many respects, especially if you're looking to scale. Uh, And so partnership is key. And the recognition that you're not you're not going to get everything initially, uh, I, I think that has really, uh, you see that even with a lot of AV companies today and their strategies uh, for deployment. A lot of it does include uh, community engagement, although not enough. You see the partnerships that they are um, entering into and how that can help relations with political and government stakeholders. But a lot more of that needs to happen and only uh, time will be the cure for that. You're right about that. The engagement, the the one thing that blows my mind, and I'll never forget this, this gentleman's an ex-NFL player, uh, lives out in Las Vegas now, we went out to dinner, and we were talking about, like, he's involved with the Boys and Girls Club of the Las Vegas area. 
And he said, why will nobody come here and show these kids an autonomous vehicle? He goes, they all want to be Jordan, LeBron, or they want to be like me and, and play in the NFL. But they never talk about autonomous vehicles. He goes, that's a missed opportunity. These kids are highly curious and highly smart. How do we get the industry to say, wait a second, yeah, community outreach, you're doing an okay job. But there's this wonderful group of underprivileged children over here that would love nothing more to do that learn about this. And guess what? They might be able to work for your company one day. How do we get the industry to embrace that? So, Grayson, here's the deal. We don't see that because there isn't enough diversity in thought, because there isn't enough diversity, period. The numbers are out there, you know, we know who works in tech, we know who does not. And so trying to get someone to, to who, who, who has no uh, sort of clue that a boys and girls club exists and who goes there and why they go there, trying to get them to understand its importance, we are where we are for that reason, because we don't have enough diversity. And so tech companies need to, number one, diversify their workforces, and number two, really get people who are from the community uh, to help introduce that technology to these communities. They can't sort of go into these communities and expect to uh, deliver an outreach plan using the same techniques that they've done before. Uh, what's interesting about this is this there is a science to this. There There is a, a method to this. And the people who are working to solve what some say is the greatest challenge of our lifetime, they don't possess the same skill set to go out and talk to communities about how to introduce this technology. It is a very different skill set. And I think the best companies out there will recognize where they fall short in these skills, and they will pick up the talent that is necessary uh, for doing this work. Because you have to build the trust. Another thing that blow my mind is, in, in certain communities and demographic, church plays an extremely large role. Why not Preach. go? To, why, exactly. Why not go to the church? We were. <laughs> I was working with this artist, and we were we were filming a music video in this neighborhood, and we went to the church and we engaged the the church elders and the community. Said, we're going to be filming this, and we like to hire X amount of um, individuals as extras, and we want you to be a part of this. And we're and we did all the right stuff, and we were so welcomed. Um, by the community and when the, when the shoot was over we, we, we invite everybody over oh, come on let's we were having this big barbecue so we had all the catering and that was done right this this industry just they don't get all these these little things maybe you, you know it, it's your background and my background in music we understand how to deal with people and deal with complex situations how do we get we, got, we have to get our industry to do that well, what I often hear is, you know, we want to get the tech right. Once we get the tech right, then we can go out to these communities and show them what exactly the tech is. And that is just a completely wrong approach. If you're building and designing a system that's supposed to be for everyone, that has never been done before, you want to have as much input as possible. When I worked at Cruise, we, we, we had robust engagement with a lot of groups. And I can tell you firsthand that some of the questions we got back are questions that we just had not considered. The learning was invaluable. And that needs to happen more regularly. It needs to happen in, authentic, in an authentic way, meaning there needs to be uh, relationships that are established. Uh, and that's how you build the trust. That is how you build your product. That is how you get government regulators uh, to give you approvals. It, it, it's 
putting value on the outreach and engagement in a way that still really isn't being done yet. I, I, I will say there are some companies that are doing some good work, but I would love to see a lot more. I personally love to see a lot more. It's good for the industry. It's good for the bottom line. It's good for the community because if you're not authentic, they're going to see right through you. Absolutely. I want to take a step back for a minute. I mentioned New York and the music business. I worked in the music business. You're on the radio side. You're, you're doing all this cool stuff in radio. I was. I was on the radio. Let me tell you what happened. I was on the radio side uh, and, you know, I was young. I was in my early 20s. All my clients were either nightclubs or, or music labels. And I got the itch to go to a, a music label. And I found myself ultimately at a Universal Motown. So I, I've done the radio and the label thing for sure. The, the Gordy family are incredible people. And if you look at the hits that came out of Hitsville, I mean, my my goodness, oh, yeah. that's the soundtrack. That's the anthem yeah. of America. That that sums it all up right there. Yeah. Oh, they changed everything. They changed R&B music forever. They changed American music. They changed popular culture. You know what? I got to tell you, one of uh, the most surreal moments for me, I was in law school, I was working at uh, Universal Motown, and it was the day Michael Jackson died. And I'm walking the halls of Universal Motown and people are playing all these Michael Jackson and Jackson 5 songs that I had never heard. I'm talking acapella versions, all of this wonderful music. And I thought, you know, we just lost somebody special, but I'll never forget uh, this moment here. Music brings us to, together. How did, how did your background and music prepare you for the future mobility, because I have this thing, artists don't look at the world the same as an engineer, look at it a completely different way. You and I look at the world in a different way. How does prepare you to, to in, embrace the future mobility? Well, you know, what's interesting is it, it's actually very similar in that way. When you're working uh, in radio, you're working with the talent. Uh, I happen to be in sales, and so I, I would work with the DJs. I would work with the artists. We would book their events. Uh, some of my favorite memories, I, I worked on Jay-Z's uh, The Black Album. Mm -hmm. I worked uh, with, with uh, Bad Boy and uh, P. Diddy when he was running the, the marathon. We called it uh, P. Diddy Runs the City. Um, nope. uh, worked uh, with Kanye West when he had his first concert in New York for his, his first uh, album. Um, but what was interesting with all these uh, personalities in, in the music business, they spoke a language, right? Uh, and it didn't matter if you were the talent or if you were on the production side, you spoke a certain language and it was my job to translate. Uh, and so in many respects, uh, in, in working and advising for technology companies, it is the same thing. It is translating what these engineers hope to achieve to, to the general public and to uh, regulators. And so it's, it's a fun job. I believe that I do understand both languages, uh, whether or not I'm successful at uh, communicating between the two. I think the results, uh, you know, uh, we can look at those in a, a few years or so. But I do think uh, the experiences have have helped me in dealing with people and personalities, which is really important, as you know, in this business. I got to tell you a, a great Kanye West story here. Remember, um, <laughs> remember the good. There are always good ones. There is, there okay. is. And I got, I got reprimanded, then it turned into a, a wonderful relationship. She's no longer with us, but it turned into a wonderful relationship when um, you had the college dropout album that was put out on Good. Kanye stood up, Good, and um, Donda, his mom. Miss West yeah. was running it, and I had very fortunate to get to know Miss West. And when um, I first met her, I said, "Oh, Mrs. West, very nice to meet you." And so, excuse me, son, 
it's Miss West, not Mrs. West. And I said, I'm very sorry. She's like, well, come on in. I'd like to get to know you. And I said, okay, Miss West. <laughs> and then we had this wonderful relationship and we would have lunch from time to time when I was at the Sony office. And she was an incredible, uh, incredibly smart woman. And, and just some of the conversations, the insights that I was able to get from Miss West were, were, were absolutely um, privileged to have those conversations with her. So Grayson, just on that note, you know, what was interesting is these are two people who are from different worlds. They are coming together. What she was asking for, well, what she demanded was respect. And I think a lot, and you gave it to her, okay? You humbled yourself because you listened, you acknowledged, and you gave it to her. If that simple formula was applied to these autonomous vehicle companies, they wouldn't have issues doing the outreach and the engagement. Bingo. They'd be having lunch and, 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 and doing great things. We had these really interesting conversa- conversations about where Kanji wanted to go, what new tech platforms were coming out, how to leverage the brand, wh- where to go. And you're right. And we saw what you know Kanye has got on to has been absolutely incredible. Right. Just imagine if the AV companies showed that same level of respect and, and sat down and had that that humble conversation. It's all about relationships. Relationships are key to this. And Henry, as we look to wrap up this insightful conversation, what would you like our listeners to take away with them? Look, I think, um, listen, again, I'm, I'm very honored to be here. SAE is a historic organization, uh, you know, co-founded by Henry Ford. I mean, it doesn't get any more historic than that. And the fact that you all are talking about what our future looks like and you invited me to participate uh, is really humbling. I, you know, what I'd like people to really uh, think about is what I often talk about is equity, right? Um, and you and I have talked about the fact that this term is used so often without any concrete definition to it. And so for me, when I'm talking about equity, I'm talking about ensuring that black and brown communities, those that have traditionally been underserved and unserved are included as we move forward with our transportation ecosystem. We are undergoing enormous amount of change. Folks are finally recognizing what transportation means to their quality of life. And at the same token, I think folks need to take a step back and recognize what it means for others' lives as well. We need to really ensure that everyone is included um, and we have to have tough conversations. This is not easy. Many of these conversations aren't meant to be gotcha moments, but they are uh, supposed to be forward-looking. And and I look forward to being part of those uh, discussions. One last thing, uh, just to uh, circle back on, on your previous point, you once said that you know some of the unheralded uh, rock stars were uh, the government affairs uh, professionals in this business, and I don't disagree. The government affairs um, folks are the reason why this industry has gotten as far as it has in terms of testing and deploying in cities. But it is my hope one day that you'll be able to say that the community affairs and the community engagement people are the unheralded rock stars. But unfortunately, there just aren't enough of them just yet. And so it is my hope that we get there. Well, I'm going to write a next blog post. I, the government affairs official of the rock stars? Well, I'm going to write the next blog post. The next rock stars is the community engagement teams because you know from our background in music, we had the street teams that would go build in the local markets where we were going to break a record. If without those, Without the grassroots teams, we had nothing. We had to break through and put butts in seats. 
and hope that's what we're going to do with community engagement. We're going to win. We're going to engage with people. We're going to show them that autonomous vehicles will benefit everyone. Mobility is created equal for everyone because tomorrow is today. Today is tomorrow. And the future is relationships and wonderful, beautiful cities. Henry, thank you so much for coming on SAE tomorrow today. Thanks for having me, Grayson. This was fun. Thank you for listening to SAE tomorrow today. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please kindly rate, review, and let us know what topics you'd like for us to explore next. Be sure to tune in next week when we speak with SAE's own Chief Growth Officer, Frank Manchaka, as we discuss the new Office of Sustainable Energy and why it was formed and how it will serve the market. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.